Good morning. It's Iowimala, and it's Sunday morning, April the 18th. And probably Earth Day celebrations going on, but Earth Day is Thursday the 22nd. So I always like to think on Earth Day about the Buddha. So many events in his life were under a tree. And so Earth, Earth Day is always, for me, a day to think about that and think how important nature is. So when the Buddha was born under a tree, his, there are famous pieces of art of his mom holding on to a, a branch of a tree and kind of a mirac- miraculous birth, you know, the birth stories. And um, she had him, he was delivered through her side, so uh, that's, that's his introduction into the world. He wasn't in the palace. He was on his way. His mom was on her way to be with her family for the delivery, which is uh, often still the custom in uh, different Asian countries. But in India, that was, that was the uh, kind of normal way things were done. But on the way, before she got back to her parents' home, and all the wealth she had left from the palace where she lived with the Buddha's father, uh, going to another probably slightly smaller palace, uh, she had the baby on her way, so it was in nature. So he was born under a tree, out in nature, not in a palace, and when he became enlightened, he was sitting under what we now call the Bodhi tree. It's a form of a ficus, ficus religiosa. And uh, he was sitting under the tree the way monks would find shade and after they'd had their meal for the day, or ascetics like he was then, um, they would meditate and the ideal spot was under the shade of a tree. And that's where he achieved his enlightenment and then when he died, he made sure that he had, he was out away from any cities or villages, and he wanted to die uh, out in nature again. And so that's where, that's where he intentionally went. And some of his uh, followers and his assistant, Ananda, uh, wanted him wanted to get him closer to a city, so all the people who loved him and wanted to honor him could be there, and it, it would be more, you know, a little bit more uh, fitting for someone of his stature. And his his preference was to be out in nature and out away from the villages, and uh, to to be where he was most comfortable and where it was private. So I always think of all those, how important nature was and how trees were, how important they were. And they still are. We just sometimes forget that these days. So Earth Day is a good, uh, for me, it's a religious holiday. (laughs) So I'd, I'd like to sit with you today, but I'd like to read a little bit, and I have to stop myself so I don't read too much from the way of the Bodhisattva. And I'd like to read a little bit more in the patience section. That's really taken my fancy. 
And I think patience, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of us, patience is really uh, tied up with issues of anger. And we aren't, we aren't able to look at things for the long haul. And when I say we, I mean me. Uh, it's hard sometimes to be patient. We start having expectations of others and we start having uh, our own plans get in the way with plans of others. And we, we don't have the, I've, I have found that patience for me is one of the things uh, in, in most ways, I feel like I'm a patient person, but if it's something that's intruding in my own uh, idea of how long it should take for something to happen or resolution to come about or uh, if things aren't moving at the pace that I think is right, that's when I'm likely to see anger arise. And it's because of impatience. And so I connect pa uh, patience with anger and have more and more seen links between that. So uh, in a way, patience is very much, I think, for me, like is like equanimity. Equanimity is finding that stability of mind to be balanced. And there's no, there's no need seeing the way seeing the truth in the universe, how the, the reality of this world, there's no need to be impatient or to be, to be angry or get upset about the way things are. We may not like the way things are and we may feel a lot of compassion and um, sorrow sometimes for the way things are, but equanimity allows us to understand that that's, that this is the way samsara is. And we can do what we can do, but we can't go beyond that. And our the most important thing is to have that stability of mind so we can be, we can be the one someone would turn to uh, in a time of stress or a time of uh, crisis or a time of uh, confusion. So I, 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 patience is a wonderful to, quality to, to examine and look at. Now I did put a bookmark where we were, but I don't remember which of the, exactly which of the little, got four, there are four line, the book is broken into four line, what we call gattas in Pali. Oh, this wouldn't have been written in Pali, I don't think. Now, I may have read a few of these, but it probably is okay. I'll read a few of these before we sit. Because the mind is bodiless, it cannot be destroyed by anyone. Because of mind's attachment to the body, this body is oppressed by pain. Scorn and hostile words and comments that I do not like to hear, my body is not harmed by them. What reasons do you have, O oh mind, for your resentment? The enmity that others show me since in this or future lives, it cannot actually devour me. Why should I be so averse to it? 
Perhaps I turn from it because it hinders me from having what I want. But all my property I'll leave behind while sins will keep me steady company. Better far for me to die today than live a long and evil life. However long the days of those like me, the pain of dying will all be the same. One man dreams he lives a hundred years of happiness, but then he wakes. Another dreams an instant's joy, but then he likewise wakes. And when they wake, the happiness of both is finished, never to return. Likewise, when the hour of death comes round, our lives are over, whether brief or long. Though we be rich in worldly goods, delighting in our wealth for many years, despoiled and stripped as though by thieves, we must go naked and with empty hands. Perhaps we'll claim that by our wealth we live, and living gather merit, dissipating evil. But if we are aggressive for the sake of profit, won't our gains be evil, all our merit lost? And if the aims for which we live is thereby, and if the aim for which we live is thereby wasted and undone, what use is there in living thus, when evil is the only consequence? And if, when people slander us, we claim our anger is because they injure others, how is it we do not resent their slander when it's aimed at someone else? And if we bear with this antipathy because it's due to other factors, why are we impatient when they slander us? Defilement, after all, has been the cause of it. I'm going to stop for a second. Because I knew I'd start coughing, allergy season. Even those who vilify and undermine the sacred doctrine, images, and stupas are not proper objects of our anger. Buddhas are themselves untouched thereby. And even if our teachers, relatives, and friends are now the object of aggression, all derives from factors as we have explained. This we should perceive and curb our wrath. Being suffer injury alike from lifeless things as well as living beings. So why be angry only with the latter? Rather let us simply bear with harm. Some do evil things because of ignorance. Some respond with anger being ignorant. Which of them is faultless in such acts? To whom shall error be described? Instead, why did they act in times gone by that they are now so Instead, why did they act in times gone by that they are now so harmed at others' hands? Since everything depends on karma, why should I be angry at such things? This I see, and therefore, come what may, I'll hold fast to the virtuous path and foster in the hearts of all an attitude of mutual love. Now when a building is ablaze and flames leap out from house to house, the wise course is to take and fling away the straw and anything that spreads the fire. And so in fear that merit might be all consumed, 
we should at once cast far away our mind's attachments, tender for the fiery flames of hate. Is it not a happy chance if when, condemned to death, a man is freed, his hand cut off in ransom for his life? And is it not a happy chance if now, to escape hell, I suffer only the misfortunes of the human state? If even these, my present pains, are now beyond my strength to bear, why do I not cast off my anger, cause of future sorrows in infernal torment? For sake of gaining all that I desired, a thousand times I underwent the tortures of the realms of hell, achieving nothing for myself and others. The present aches are nothing to compare with those, and yet great benefit will come from them. These troubles that dispel the pain of wanderers, it's only right that I rejoice in them. When others take delight in giving praise to those endowed with talents, why, O oh mind, do you not find a joy likewise in praising them? The pleasure that is gained therefrom itself gives rise to blameless happiness. It's urged on us by all the holy ones and is the perfect way of winning others. But they're the ones who'll have the happiness, you say. If this then is the joy you would resent, abandon paying wages and returning favors, you'll be the loser both in this life and the next. Well, I'll stop there because I'll just keep going and we'll run out of time to practice. But I think he's there's really... Um, He's really talking about the quality of equanimity, isn't he? Because even um, being able to look at some of the things happening now for the long haul, uh, it, they're difficult. I, the, the first part, when he talks about if things are done to like statues and stupas and, and uh, relics, reminds me of when a lot of the, uh, the Buddhist incredible Buddhist statues carved into the cliffs in, uh, I think it was in Pakistan or Afghanistan, were blown up. And uh, people said to me, oh, is a Buddhist, isn't that just horrifying? Isn't that horrible for you? And I, and there were other, and there were people who, who do feel that they're Buddhist who I'm sure were very uh, upset about it. But, you know, it seemed to me like that was one situation because of its distance from me that I thought those are, those are just images and that there's, those are just pieces of art and a terrible thing to blow it up, but not a reason to, uh, to get caught up in uh, hatred about it. So it, they're just things they, they don't represent. And, and as Shanti Dewa says, the Buddha's, all of the Buddhas themselves aren't harmed in any way. So I like, I like this. And I just saw uh, yesterday that there's a new translation of Shantidewa's The Way of the Bodhisattva. And uh, there are always new translations and new ways of presenting it. It looked like a really beautiful illustrated book, but uh, I'm very happy with this translation for mine. So think about patience and the quality of equanimity and the quality 
of anger, and I think patience leads to the quality of equanimity. Impatience leads to the quality of uh, anger. And we know the one that we want to cultivate, and we know the one that we, we don't want to cultivate. So why don't we sit together? I found yesterday that I was feeling impatient for the uh, cool weather to go to way, go away. And then I realized, no, in July, I'll be thinking, oh, the fall sounds pretty good, the cool spring sounds pretty good, so uh, it's, it's never perfect. So why be impatient with how it, how it, how it is now? That seems to always be a lesson I'm learning. So find the position for your body that allows your body to be relaxed and yet awake. You can gently close your eyes unless you're walking or you're having to watch little people. We have about 10 minutes. Your body knows. You may feel your body calming down. Just observe the breath. Let your body do the work. Let your back be straight. Feel lifted up if you're sitting up, and even if you're on the floor on your back, or even if you're in bed when you listen, you can feel your back straightening out, kind of stretching your back, and then settling. So each one vertebra is on top of the other. Your spine is aligned nicely for your body. Observe the breath.
Now stay with the breath. The breath is the anchor. If we're aware of each breath, then we're in the present moment. As Pante Sanita said yesterday, in the here and now, Be patient, just be with each breath. Just observe everything, be aware of your body, Aware of what your sense doors are opening up to. Be aware of how comfortable you are in your body. Is it comfortable or does it feel? Does the body feel restless? Distressed or uncomfortable? Try to relax the body. Try to find a way to shift your posture if you need to, to cause your body to relax more. See if you can release tension in your body just by staying with your breath and relaxing with each exhale. Feel your shoulders drop. Just allow your mind to generate thoughts, but you don't have to be feeding your mind, feeding those thoughts. You can just allow the thoughts to come and then just allow them to go. And that's all you need to do right now. It's very important just to realize how the mind wants to take over. 
wants to be in charge, wants our attention with every thought we have. We work with the rise and fall of the breath. And think of your thoughts that way. There's just a rise and fall of the thoughts. Feel the restlessness calm down. Feel the thoughts settle down. Like watching the ripples in a pond just gradually settle down. The pond can become very smooth like glass.
May the actions that we take towards the good, toward understanding ourselves, towards being more peaceful, be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you. Thanks for joining me in my practice. And I hope you have a beautiful day and find an opportunity to uh, experience patience and just relish that. Okay. I will see you Tuesday. <laughs>